Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. In this one, we take our early guesses into the Astros playoff roster. Who's in and who's out? Plus, we preview the Texans and the Bills. And is it already rocket season? It's another short NBA offseason. Before we fire things up, a reminder that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. Not only is BetUS.com the place to bet on all your favorite sports, but in just a few minutes, we'll remind you about our exclusive discount. It's a way to save money, support our favorite podcast. This one, of course, I would hope this is your favorite podcast, and maybe we're going to make you a little money in the process. More on that soon, but let's get it rolling with my co-host and regular sidekick, fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist Stephen Kerr and Steven, where did the Astros offense go in that A series? Six runs in three games? What happened? Yeah, that's what we've been asking off and on throughout the last several weeks, Robert, is where is the Astros offense? It's either 12 runs or one or two runs. That seems to be the <laughs> that seems to be the MO of this offense as as great as it is, you know, leading in most categories in the league. You would take a look and go, man, this, you know, this team's got the, the offense to win the World Series. Well, yeah, except for the nights that they don't show up. And in the Oakland series, they clearly uh, did not show up. Either they're Dr. Jekyll or they're just plain hiding, right? <laughs> yeah, plain hiding. And, and most of the, yeah, that, that's exactly, that's the best way to put it right there. Anything else that has grabbed your attention over the last few days as we, you know, we're, we're just, we're almost there. We're about to the playoffs. Well, I mean, it just continues to be the pitching, you know, especially, I mean, the bullpen's been up and down all year, but the starting rotation is, is certainly a concern. I mean, you've got Grinky on the IL. You you hope that he's ready to go, uh, you know, but even when he has been ready to go, his ineffectiveness has just, you know, rendered the pitching staff even weaker than it has been. And, you know, I just, I hate the thought of limping into the playoffs, Robert, but that that's kind of what the Astros are looking at. You know, the, the Brantley is is a question mark as far as, you know, what I think with him is that they're just being cautious with him. They're certainly hoping that he will be ready by the time the postseason gets here. I'm not as concerned about Brantley as I am, say, somebody like Grinky, you know, because, uh, you know, taking him out of the mix, ineffective though he has been, just puts an even bigger strain on an Astros pitching staff that has been strained all year, really. Okay, this is interesting that you talk about Granky, and we're going we're gonna to get to that in a second. But uh, I, I just got to lead in with everything that we are going to speculate on the Astros playoff roster in this show with the season ending Sunday. It, it's time to do that, and I'll start off with our locks to make the roster. At least this is what I have as the locks to make the roster of the position players. You've got Jordan, Altuve, Tucker, Correa, Yuli, Maldonado, Castro, Bregman, Oledmus Diaz, Chaz McCormick, Jake Myers, and we hope Michael Brantley. Like you said, it's a question mark right now, but we hope Brantley is on that roster and a lock. So that's 12 right there. The guys may be on the fence of the position players, Marwin Gonzalez and Garrett Stubbs, if you want to carry a third catcher, for instance. The locks as pitchers are McCullers, Fromber, Luis Garcia, Presley, Urquidy, Graveman, Stanek, Blake Taylor, and Yimmy Garcia. So that's nine pitchers, which makes it 21 altogether that I believe are locks. The pitchers maybe on the fence are Granky. You just said it, Stephen. This is a question mark right now, and he's a, a fence guy at the moment. Odorizzi, Christian Javier, everybody's favorite 
Whipping Boy, Brooks Raley, <laughs> Phil Maton, and I guess maybe Brandon Belak and Pedro Baez, who's trying to work his way back. He's pitching right now in the minors. Steven, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are 26 roster spots for a five-game series. And this is critical here, a five-game series. So this might be different as to how you would compose a seven-game series roster, right? Yeah, that's certainly true. You know, what your ALDS roster looks like isn't necessarily going to be, you know, what what your championship series roster is going to look like just because of the fact that it's a five-game versus a seven-game. So those things do come into play. Now, let me just read you my list, you know, as far as, because we, we do have a few differences. You know, I have McCullers, wait, Valdez. Wait, 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 before you go, there's no differences because I have not given you who I'm leaving out. So all these guys I just said right there, those are locks. So I just gave you everybody that I thought was a lock, which in total was 21 guys. So what what I'm saying is for five spots remaining, we've got nine players on the fence total. And I'll give you nine guys and you can choose which one of these four shouldn't be on the playoff roster because basically I just gave you all the locks. You're, you're not... You're not disagreeing. None of the guys that I just said right there that that were locks, you're you're not disagreeing with any of my locks, correct? Uh, No, as far as I know, no. Okay, so it comes down to Marwin, Garrett Stubbs, Granke, Odorizzi, Christian Javier, Brooks Raley, Phil Maton, Brandon Belak, and Pedro Baez for the nine players on the fence. And, you know, if, if... it's me. It's different than maybe what the Astros would do. Yeah, yeah I'm sure if both of us, it'll be <laughs> that way. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to assume the Astros would be cutting Phil Maton, Brandon Belak, Pedro Baez, and Garrett Stubbs. Would you guess that those four guys, by Astros standards, are not on the roster? Yeah, Stubbs for sure. Uh, Baez, yeah, I, I just I don't see Baez being in the picture. I mean, he hasn't been all year, so I certainly don't see him you know, being in the mix, you know, Garcia, as in Yimmy Garcia, I, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, I don't have him on my roster. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I just, I mean, it's either him or Maton, really. I mean, you can take your pick. You're, you're getting into slim pickings here. Same with Belak. You know, you're talking about guys that really have been ineffective, just not been much of a factor. So it, it's almost like six of one half dozen of the other with some of these guys. So that this is interesting because so I had Yimmy as as a flat out lock, and and so the, really the only four guys that I've mentioned in this whole group that are, are out are Maton, Maton, Belak, Baez, and Stubbs. Of everybody, this is anybody that's anybody that we've seen this year with the yeah, Astros. That that's from Dusty and James Click. But if it's me, right. I'm taking Granky out of the rotation, which means he's not on my roster. Or Keedy gets right. his rotation spot, and I replace Granky on the roster. And I think this is a, maybe the most creative choice is Garrett Stubbs. And the reason I like Stubbs is because you should only need 12 pitchers in a five-game series. You, you don't need that many pitchers in a five-game series. And I like having a third catcher because you can pinch hit for the catcher twice and we we don't have good hitting catchers you know Maldonado Jason Castro don't excite me uh, as hitters uh, but you you can go with uh, more pinch hitting and you've got Marwin now to pinch hit you've got potentially either Jake Myers or Chaz McCormick if, if Brantley's healthy and is back in the starting lineup 
and and this is an underrated part of the playoffs, Stephen. Garrett Stubbs is an excellent bunter, and and sometimes you just need to manufacture a run in the playoffs. So I I, I put Garrett Stubbs over Zach Granke. That's my most controversial choice. It, well, it is and it isn't. I, I mean, first of all, there there's so much unknown, but we we have to go with what we know right now. We can't you can't look ahead to something that you don't know about. You know, as it stands right now, Grinky's just not healthy. So, you know, it's not inconceivable that he is not on the roster. And you also have to consider if the Astros play the White Sox, which it looks like they will in the first round of the playoffs, you know, they're a right-handed hitting, dominant right-handed hitting lineup. And Grinky has just not done well against right-handed hitters this year, pure and simple. So leaving him off your ALDS roster does not mean that you're going to leave him off the whole postseason roster all the way through. Okay, so this is where it gets interesting. So you've got Yimmy Garcia on there. I'm just curious, like who who are your back end, like the the non locks? Who who makes it that is surprising somebody? Because if Yimmy's not there, you're, you're putting what Phil Maiton on, or do you have some other reliever in mind that we haven't mentioned yet? Well, I put B. I, I had Belak on there. Oh and wow! Yeah, I just again, you know, you're you're just grabbing at straws with some of these guys because none of them have been effective. You know, so it's it's Garcia, it's Mayton, it's Belak. <laughs> you know, those three guys. Uh, you know, which one do you want in there? It, it's really none of the three, if I had my choice. But that's kind of where it is, and it gets even tougher. You know, if you do leave someone like Granky off the whole roster, you know, that's another pitcher you've got to account for. Did you leave Granky off, or you have him as the fourth starter? I I do not have him as the fourth starter. I had him in, in the bullpen along with Odorizzi, uh, you know, just as I, my starters were McCullers, Valdez, Urquidy, and Luis Garcia. If you need a fourth starter, and you probably won't, even, you know, if it's a five-game series, you could even have Garcia in the bullpen. Yeah, that's interesting. I, Garcia versus Belak. That's an interesting, I, 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 <laughs> yeah, the confidence in either one of them. You almost hope to have to not use either one of those guys. Yeah, that well, that's mine. I was like, I don't want to use either one of them, but you've got to have one or the other. You just, you know, it's either that or you dip into your minor league system for guys who've been up and down and up and down, like, say, a Peter Solomon or someone like that. I certainly don't. I, I certainly don't trust that to, to be have one of those guys on the roster. Yeah, it's interesting. When they made the Graveman trade, I was so excited watching him those first couple of outings, and he just looked like he was lights out. And you thought, oh, my goodness, we got Graveman and Presley now to really close things out, which, you know, pulls Stanek back in, the, in the, maybe the seventh inning. But now with the way Graveman is pitching, Stanek to me is the eight, eighth inning guy, and it's it just the whole thing scares you because of that. You're like, ah, and the Stanek still scares me a little bit. Uh, Graveman is it, you know, what he looked like early in the season. And I, I just don't know what, I don't know if he just wore out. I mean, he's never pitched like this before in his life, but you know, he's pitching in the bullpen. He's pitching with a, a rehabbed arm, a, a post Tommy John arm. So you thought, well, maybe, maybe things have changed, but then maybe he just wore out because he's never been a reliever. And you got to remember not being a reliever and the fact that you come in off a short season. Presley even had a bad game over the weekend. And, you know, he's had his moments a couple of times this year, but I think we agreed on our, our Astros awards show that he was the most consistent pitcher on the whole staff. So, you know, people are going to run into issues, but I, I certainly feel better with Stanek, Graveman, and Presley than I did before they made those trades. So, yeah, you know, you can look at it so many different ways, and, and there's still some unknowns, you know, like, you know, is Grinky even going to be available. 
you know, Odorizzi, he hasn't been affected, but you got to put him in there. He's He's got to be one or the other. I just, I don't have a lot of confidence in the pitching staff at all going into the postseason, Robert, for a number of reasons, you know, as much of the ineffectiveness as, as some of these guys have been. But it is what it is, and uh, we'll just have to find out. You know, there's still a few games left in the regular season. The Astros haven't clinched yet. They need to do that. You know, that's the other big thing is their magic number has been at two as we're recording this. So uh, who knows? Uh, the next few days could be very interesting. But once the postseason gets in here, these guys have got to come through or the Astros are going to bow out pretty early. The consistency is such a big deal with this pitching staff because you watch them and at times, you know, Fromber looks great. At times, uh, Lance McCullers has looked great. You know, then they just throw in these clunkers at times. Luis Garcia, most of the time, Luis Garcia has looked great. Yeah, it's just those clunkers that they throw in the bullpen. There's been nothing that you can say is consistent outside of Presley. That's it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He is definitely Mr. Consistency there. So that's why, you know, you could ask three people to come up with a bullpen and you'd probably get three different scenarios. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's not a good I don't know. in, In this case, it's not a good problem to have. Like you said, let's let's uh, let them get there first. But you got to feel pretty confident. It's a magic number is two with a few days to go, and you, you figure they can handle that. But I mean, they they, they play the Rays. The Rays are hecklers, and and they're really great, <laughs> really great period. But hecklers against the Astros over the years. Yeah, they certainly are. And uh, you know, then you have uh, three more games against the A's, so that that's going to be a real determining factor. Hopefully, we'd like to think the Astros would win one of those three games against the Rays and clinched by them. You know, the Rays are trying to clinch the best record in the AL. They only need one game to do that. So, you know, they may be resting some guys. Who knows? It, it's such a, so many unknowns when you get this late in the season when you're pretty much a lock to do one thing or the other. But I certainly believe the Astros, gosh, it'd be the collapse in their, the biggest collapse in their history if they suddenly fail to clinch with six games left. All right. So, Stephen, I want you to hold off a little bit on the Astros time machine for this week in Astros history a little later in the show. But our friends at BetUS have the Texans as 17-point underdogs against the Bills on the road this week. Just no respect for Davis Ooh. Mills. Come on, get behind Davis Mills. Uh, are you expecting a blowout? Yeah, it's going to be awfully hard for me not to go against that, Robert. The Texans have fought their way through these first three games, but this is Buffalo and you are on the road. And I think, you know, there are some factors that you have to consider. You know, one of them is you you hope that Davis Mills will be allowed to do a little more than he was in the Panthers game. You know, they they clearly limited the offense. David Culley even said it. They, they clearly limited the offense. But, you know, and if you look at Davis Mills, Robert, and you stack him up against the other rookie quarterbacks this year, he really isn't that bad. I mean, he's 27 to 46, 270 yards, couple touchdowns, one interception. You know, but you look at some of these other rookie quarterbacks, Davis Mills has an 80.9 quarterback rating, which is the highest of the four rookie quarterbacks drafted ahead of him. So, uh, you know, combined, all the rookie quarterbacks only have one win between them in 11 games. So really, none of the rookies have stepped forward. But Davis Mills clearly has to come through if the Texans even hope to stay close against the Bills. I just don't see how the Texans cover this week. I think they finally met a, or they meet a real quarterback and a real offense. They're on the road, uh, 17 points. It's it's a lot for an NFL game, but 
Davis Mills is going to have his hands full with that Bills defense. I, I, I just, I, I, I would not touch this game. I, there's 17 points is in the NFL is that's kind of a no touch game to me. But yeah. if I'm going to pick a side, I guess I'm picking the, the Texans can't cover. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And I think, you know, a lot of the reasons the Texans aren't getting the respect obviously is Davis Mills. But, you know, the other is that they they, have, they aren't establishing a run, which would certainly help him. You talked about how inconsistent the offensive line is. I mean, I think that, you know, if the defense can make a, a turnover or two, yeah, they might cover. But that's a very big if. So, yeah, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to jump out on a limb. I'm just not brave enough, Robert. I'll admit it to it. All right, let me ask you this. Uh, the over-under is 48 points. So 49 points, meaning seven touchdowns between the two teams, would be a cover. Do you think there's going to be a total of seven combined touchdowns? If, if there are, I mean, if there are, are seven combined touchdowns, it, it's, it's got to be five to two, maybe? I was going to say, mostly the Bills would be scoring those touchdowns, I think. <laughs> I, I don't see the Texans, because that, that would obviously mean a close game. And I don't see that happening. Here's the thing, though. I I don't know if the Bills can score five touchdowns and the Texans can score two touchdowns because I I, I see a Lovey Smith defense like, okay, you're going to methodically have to go up and down the field. He's going to be in that cover, too. It's going to be tough to go with quick strikes. I kind of roll with the under on this. I just don't know if the Bills can put up 35 or 42 against the Texans. And I think that's what they're going to need to really pull off the cover here. Yeah, I'd certainly say so. Uh, you know, if I felt like the Texans were like, if, if Tyrod Taylor were in there, for instance, Oh, I'd have a lot more confidence. I think the Texans would cover and I think they would score more touchdowns, but I don't see that happening. You know, I, I hate to say, say that we're agreeing most of the time on this, Robert, but man, it, it's just hard to, to look at the Texans and say that they could cover even a 17 point spread, just considering how, anemic the the offense has been now well if you're gonna bet on the nfl this season well let me just say you're you need to do it with bet us our, our friends over there because you have to use a sports book with integrity and longevity and that's what bet us is it's not just football they take action on any sport and they've done it for nearly three decades a pioneer in the sports book industry diehard customer fan base perfect mobile platform all you got to do is log into BetUS.com, call 800-792-3887. That's 800-79-BETUS. And here's how we can save you a little money when you do it. When you sign up, use our promo code HST125. You can redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. Again, that code HST125. It's in the show description. You can't miss it. Super easy. Uh, to follow and it, this is uh, just really fun if, if you want to lay something down on either the NFL or maybe you want to lay some money down on some Astros or baseball and, and if you want to help our podcast you can just do it by signing up using the BetUS link either go to the one that's the pin post at the top of our Twitter page it's right there and you just click on that or you can go to the website HoustonSportsTalk.net and click on the BetUS icon. It's on the homepage. Easy to find there. Get your online and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Well, Robert, I'm afraid to, to say this. I hate to say this, but you didn't get paid. I didn't get paid. Nobody got paid. 
if you bet on Texas Tech covering that eight-point spread against the Longhorns. We're, Are you saying we were wrong? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid we, we, we were dead wrong. <laughs> yeah, that, that definitely took me by surprise. I mean, usually the Longhorns-Texas Tech game is a pretty good game, but this one just you, – you blink your eye – I think I walked out of the room for maybe two minutes and they'd already scored like three touchdowns between them. That was crazy. Crazy. Well, you're a Longhorns guy. I mean, what happened? How did, how, how did they get it all together suddenly and, and, and against a tech defense that Dana Holgerson told us was the best tech defense he's seen in ages? Uh, well, it's funny you bring that up, Robert, because I think you either mentioned this in a text or, yeah, I think you, you texted me about this. Uh, that didn't look too good as far as the Cougars are concerned, does it? The fact that Texas Tech got shellacked. Well, you know, a couple of reasons. One is that Casey Thompson, a quarterback, I'm telling you, when he's in there, things happen. The guy makes plays. You know, he did it in the bowl game last year, and he's done it in every appearance he's been in this year. He just makes things happen. I mean, he has that offense rolling. And then the other thing, Robert, is the Texas offensive line played a bit better than they have. I mean, they, they really hadn't played well most of the season, and they got it together in this game. So, you know, those, those two, three, you know, the, the thing is the defense certainly wasn't lights out. If you score 35 points and you still lose by 35, you know, that's pretty bad as far as Tech is concerned. Most of the time you score 35 points, you should win. But it, it was just one of those crazy games, you know, putting 70 points up and, and yet you let the other team score 35. Otherwise, it could have been even worse. The quarterback, the quarterback, the quarterback. It's it's the NFL story. It's college. It's football story. And look, yeah. Texas got quarterback play. Texas A&M didn't get quarterback play. They get beat by the Razorbacks. That that's it. And 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 week to week, you go, is there are the Razorbacks any good? Is Texas any good? We're we're still trying to I think decipher that. Yeah, well, Texas is definitely going to decipher that against TCU in their next game, and that's definitely. I I think if you want a measuring stick, then and there, that's what it is right there. So you know, Tech has been up and down. You know, rice speaks for itself. So, yeah, as we get deeper into the season, I think we're going to find out more and more about that. But still, just crazy. <laughs> what, you know, scoring 70 points against Texas Tech, that that just was something I was not considering. I was a bit surprised that A&M lost to Arkansas. I mean, it's no secret the A&M offense has not been effective, you know, and, and Haynes King is out. And so they have some question marks. But I still thought they had just enough to beat Arkansas. And Arkansas is one of those teams I never can figure out from year to year, Robert. I know they got a great defensive coordinator because he, he used to be the head coach of the Missouri Tigers. And he wasn't a good head coach, but he was a great coordinator with the Tigers. Um, hey, uh, Dana Holgerson's Cougs, Stephen, they struggled to take care of Navy at home. 28-20 was the final. I, I watched a lot of this game. They had to come from behind in the second half. The ice under Dana Holgerson's feet just keeps getting thinner and thinner. Yeah, I, I'm very concerned that, you know, the Cougars need to get off to better starts than they do. I mean, I, I was beginning to think they weren't going to pull that game out. And they came out in the second half and, and took care of things. But, you know, they, they've done that numerous times. This season, last season, you can't get off to those kind of starts and beat really good teams. And, uh, you know, the, I think the one thing that's saving them is they are playing a mostly weaker schedule this year. Yeah, they're three and one, but that, it's not what I would call a three and one where you go, oh my goodness, they should be in the top 25. No, definitely not. Yeah, it's uh, how you look at it. Are you looking at the record or are you looking at how they're doing this? And and, and if you're interested in, in betting against Dana Holgerson, they're a three and a half point underdog at Tulsa Friday night. 
So, Stephen, last week, Tulsa beats Arkansas State by seven. But Tulsa's record, one and three, which makes you wonder, well, why are they the favorite? But two of their losses, Oklahoma State and Ohio State. However, Stephen, their other loss is to UC Davis, and they're one and three. So <laughs> I, I, I am amazed that the Cougars, as bad as they've looked, are still an underdog against this team. I don't, this is confusing to me. I, I, I would say don't bet on Holgerson yet, but at the same time, <laughs> they're getting three and a half with Tulsa. So what you're saying is that Tulsa is another team that we can't figure out, right? Is, is that what you're saying here? I guess. I mean, I, I don't know if they can't <laughs> figure out. Maybe, maybe you can figure out because they're one in three and, and they've lost to UC Davis, but it, it tells you how little respect that there is for the Cougars right now. Yeah, it certainly does. But but uh, to me, it's deserved. I mean, you, you've got to play your way into that respect. And as I said, I mean, you know, again, you look at records, three and one looks great but uh, on paper. But when you break down the big picture and eh, not necessarily because the Cougars haven't played well in most of the, the those two of those three wins, certainly they have not played well. Yeah, this is something to keep an eye on. We're going to keep an eye on the Cougars all year because, uh, first of all, we're the Houston sports talk. We love the Cougars, but also. This Holgerson thing, it's its going to be interesting. because When's college basketball season starts? That's what I want to know. Well, good point. <laughs> uh, you know what does start pretty soon, though? Can you believe the first Rockets preseason game is just one week from today? Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, I always, I don't know why I forget this every year, Robert, but, the, you know, the NBA offseason is so short. And if, if you're a team that gets into the championship series, it's even shorter. And the Rockets didn't even make the playoffs. And yet you look up and go, oh, my goodness, they're in training camp already. And by the way, the, you know, the good news, if you're really keeping up with this kind of thing and you're into the vaccination situation, the Rockets are one of the teams that are fully vaccinated, Robert. So, you know, if, if you're looking for some positives going into the season for the Rockets, well, that's one of them. They're fully vaccinated. Well, don't forget this. We had a short offseason because the COVID situation. Well, that yeah, you add that into it also. That That's certainly true. John Wall says he'll go on Rockets road trips. And he's going to coach him up. Steven, is $44 million too much to pay for an NBA assistant coach? What do you think? Yeah, maybe. But you know what? I, the, the whole thing about this wall situation is it, it could go so wrong and so sideways like it has. I mean, how many players do you know that they know they're, they're trying to trade them and yet they're willing to mentor the young guys? They're willing to hang out. I mean, I mean, it's a shame. I, I, I don't know why. Surely we could just put the guy in there until you trade him. That's an awful lot of money for him. It, at least he's not like Deshaun who's just sitting around doing nothing and collecting his big money. So at least Wall is is pitching in. I mean, I like the attitude at least. If you're going to draw something from it, at least he's going to be there. He's going to be a, a positive presence. And he's not, at, at least at this moment in time, it doesn't appear to be he's going to be a distraction, a cancer, like the whole James Harden situation and you know, and others that, that most teams find when they know that a player's on the trading block. So, I mean, if, you, if you're looking for a positive with that situation, yeah, at least Wall is the type of guy that's going to be in there and isn't going to start causing problems because the Rockets are trying to trade him. But that is an awful lot of money, though, to pay a quote-unquote assistant coach. Hey, John Wall, better than Justin Verlander and Deshaun Watson. And who, who else, what other city in, in the country 
is paying a hundred million dollars to three guys in three separate sports that aren't aren't on the field at all, and and they and they can't be on the field. I mean, Verlander obviously with the injury, but Wall and Deshaun they've got their own weird situations. Yeah, it is. It's interesting you bring that up. Yeah, that's why I'm saying I I can't think of too many instances where you have a guy that it's obvious he's not going to be playing with the team, but he's not just sitting at home collecting his you know, multi-million dollar contract, he's at least going to be helping out in some capacity. It's kind of fun to hear at media day how happy everybody was to be a Houston Rocket in Houston as a Rocket. The worst team in basketball, by the way. Not just, you know, hey, it's it's Houston and it's the Rockets and they've got this great history. They were the worst team in basketball last year. But everybody was in their fun and happy mode after nobody was really happy last year. The angry, old, bitter Rockets, Stephen, are now the happy, (laughs) young Rockets. Yeah, it's funny how things, a few months, I guess, could change things. Uh, Maybe even a shorter offseason than usual can change things. And I, I think, obviously, Robert, a lot of it just has to do with the culture that Steven Silas is trying to create. Uh, You know, that losing season was hard on him, obviously would be. And it's obvious that he cares He got emotional during that long, long losing streak. But I think a lot of how you handle things says a lot about what people think of you and how they observe you. And I think Steven Silas has a lot to do with that. And let's face it, Robert, it was a strange season last year for everybody. There's there's nothing normal about it. So you have to hope that, you know, everybody has the outlook of, okay, we're coming into this season. Yeah, COVID is still a factor, but it's it, it's supposed to be a full 82-game season. It feels at least a little more like normal. Last year, hopefully, was an anomaly. The Rockets are still they're in rebuilding mode. There's no denying that. But they've got some players that they drafted, you know, that everybody's excited about. I think that's the other real factor that you can put in there is that they've got some new faces. who They, they weren't in that mix last year. They weren't with the losing. So they've got these guys coming in who are showing some fire and, and maybe even will light a fire under some of these other guys, you know, like a Christian Wood, a Kevin Porter Jr., guys like that. Eric, Eric Gordon would be another one. The Rockets have that new car scent to them right now, if you yep. would. And and Steven Silas, you, you mentioned him, and it's worth discussing him for a little bit because if you listen to the press conference, if you listen to Media Day, Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., these guys – will run through a wall for Steven Silas. They love this guy. I don't know who you could compare him to as a successful coach in in another sport, you know, whether it's maybe Dusty Baker with the Astros, but let's talk a little bit about some of the super successful coaches like Belichick and Popovich. He's not that kind of coach. I I would say, and, and I don't, think he's a Phil Jackson kind of a coach because I don't know if there was this just real love and affection but I look at somebody like in Seattle with the Seahawks and Pete Carroll that that's more like Silas but not quite the rah-rah guy uh but that's maybe the who is there a comparison that you see with Silas and his whole attitude and how much these guys are kind of willing to follow him well, I know it's still obviously early and, and they're not winning. But, I mean, you look at how the, the players seem to love playing for David Culley, for instance. I mean, David Culley's one of those guys. He just exudes positive, you know, maybe over-the-top positive. But a guy like Steven Silas, you know, I, I still have reservations of, you know, can he really lead this team to a championship? I don't know. It's still too early to tell. 
I'm not that confident. But the one thing you can say, Robert, in fact, you have said it, is that these players will play for him. I mean, I, I still think that's a big deal. You know, if you don't, if, if you have a coach that you don't want to play for, how much 100% maximum effort are you going to go out and do? How much are you going to fight? And I, I, the Rockets need that right now, especially if they are in a rebuilding mode and they've got a lot of young players, you're going to want to play for the guy. So I think that he's got that on his side, and I think that will help him. And I think he will turn the Rockets around. Just how far will he do it in the long term? Yeah, I'm just not so sure about it. You know, his game strategy, I think, needs to get better. But again, he's only had one season, so let's let's give it some time. And at least the guys do want to play for him. Yeah, I, I don't see the David Cully because I, I, I don't think Steven Silas, if you put him in an NFL game, would say, you know what? We're going to go ahead and kick it and take instead of taking an extra down. <laughs> well, no, I, I'm talking. I'm not talking about strategy. I'm talking about just you know w- whether you want to play for the guy or not. That that you're at least willing to fight for him. That now David Cully has a lot to learn in that. I, I wasn't trying to compare that situation. I'm just comparing personality types in the sense of these guys will go through a wall for him. Well, you know the Texans haven't had a big enough size yet. Some of, some of these guys have had at least one year with Silas. So th- there are some differences there. Yeah, Cully's more of this rah-rah on the court, maybe. But I, I would say Silas, if you're going to compare him to a Houston coach manager, I look at somebody like a Phil Garner. And, and you could throw A.J. Hinch in there, too. Yeah, yeah. And, but, yeah, he's got a long way to go as far as an A.J. Hinch. But A.J. Hinch won. He won. A.J. Hinch won a World Series, tainted or not. And, and he made the playoffs. So, again... We're not talking about wins and losses because the sample size is just too small, but at least in the positive sense of a personality and do you want to play for the guy, I think those players, those coaches you mentioned, the players certainly enjoyed playing for them. Yeah, I look at Hinch as more of, a, he's a little bit more of this MIT or whatever. He was a Stanford guy. He was a little bit more straight-laced where Garner was the guy that would get on I, I I could see Garner getting on the phone like you know you heard you heard in, in, in media day that Kevin Porter was is talking to Silas every day or all the time not just about you know what's going on with basketball but just his life and everything like that I could see a Garner calling guys up like hey what are you doing how are the kids doing all that that that's where I see the Garner comparison a little bit I guess that, that's certainly true. And Silas has done, he's been very involved with his players on a personal level. And I think that means a lot to them. And ultimately though, you know, it's got to play over into wins and losses. And that's what we're going to see for, you know, this season and probably next as far as the Rockets are concerned. Yeah. Speaking of Kevin Porter Jr. He said the Rockets organization saved his life. Yeah, he did say, I did see that. Yeah. He sounded, uh, uh, he sounded like a much more mature person. You just hope we can see that maturity on the court. I'll be interested to find out. Well, and that's the one thing I think, Robert, you and I have pointed to it so many times with Kevin Porter Jr. is that we keep wondering, is his head in the game? You know, and judging from the, certainly from the teams he was with before the Rockets, it wasn't in the game. And so much of it is mental. I mean, if a guy like Steven Silas can turn an attitude like Kevin Porter Jr. around, you know, the, the big plus in his cap right there, because obviously if Kevin Porter can get it right mentally, he can be a, a good player in this league. Absolutely. And the Rockets certainly hope he will. I'm just so excited. I cannot wait to see this team on the court. I, I can't wait to see the young guys play. 
Uh, I want to see a healthy season from them so we can see a lot of the young players. Jalen Green needs to stay healthy. Kevin Porter needs to stay healthy. Shangoon, all these guys that you just, you, you're like, okay, what do we got? What's it look like? How, how are they going to develop? Uh, let, let's move, though, to uh, our time machine, our Astros time machine, because this is exciting, Stephen. This week in Astros history, there's some good things that happened this week in Astros. Some great things that happened this week in Astros Oh, history. man. Yeah, you got that right. Um, well, let's start with September 23rd, 1998, when the Astros reached 100 wins for the first time in team history. Well, you know, it certainly wasn't the last. <laughs> the last few years, they've racked up a few. But 1998 was the first time. And of course, you know, that was the Randy Johnson era. And as it so happens, Randy Johnson picked up the victory on that day, 7-1 to over the Cardinals, and he moved his record to 10-1 and since becoming an Astro. So, yeah, a, a milestone certainly in 1998. Yeah, it entered in bitter disappointment because everybody felt like, oh, Randy Johnson is going to take us over the top. And, you know, we didn't know then what we know now. Justin Verlander was able to do that. Randy Johnson, unfortunately, did not, but he did help the Astros, you know, put themselves in the position they were and reach 100 wins for the first time in their history. Was that the first time that you really thought maybe the Astros can win the World Series in your entire life at that moment? No, I, I still felt like they had a chance in 1980. I mean, they had holes, sure, but I mean, because they, I, I think I felt that way, you know, especially when they set themselves up to win that Philly series in 1980. But if you're looking at it from a big picture standpoint, yeah, I, I think when they made the Randy Johnson trade, I really felt like, oh my gosh, this is going to put us over the top. This this is what we've lacked, and this is what's going to take us to the world beyond it and win it. So yeah, I, I guess from a big picture standpoint, you're right. What's up next on This Week in Astros History? Oh my goodness. September 25th, 1986. I, I, I probably don't have to say any more, do I, Robert? It just just giving you the date, September 25th, 1986, you probably know what happened on this day. Mike Scott gets that no-hitter against the Giants, won two to nothing, gave the Astros the NL West title. He strikes out 13, and he eventually goes on to win the NL Cy Young Award that season. You know, I don't know if that particular game swayed him completely and you know the voters completely in that direction but it certainly couldn't have hurt and i'll tell you what i remember about that game robert is i uh i had baseball practice of my own that day and i missed that game and you talk about somebody that was mad <laughs> i mean i was glad the astros won obviously but i was mad that i missed a piece of history like that i couldn't even watch the game because i was at my own practice how about that this is what i remember 15-year-old Robbie Land was in his bedroom on the second story of 8511 Hiawatha in Sharpstown, which is now Chinatown. And he was listening to the radio for that one. Didn't have it on television. I, I remember the ground ball to first base and just jumping up and down, just like Mike Scott was when, when, when you hear ground ball to first base. And everybody's got to remember this uh, that was at that time. But if you don't remember, so a couple of nights earlier, Jim Deshays strikes out the first eight batters of the game. The The pitcher gets pinch hit for by Tommy Lasorda. So he doesn't get a chance to strike out. Nine, or he could have, but it, it made it a little bit harder to strike out nine in a row. But Deshays 
just looked like he was going to be the next Cy Young Award winner the way he was pitching that game. Then after that, Nolan Ryan goes about, I don't know, what, seven innings or something? Six, like- six innings. I was going to mention that. In fact, the day before that Mike Scott's no-hitter, Nolan Ryan pitched six innings of no-hit ball against the Giants. And, of course, the Astros won that game, and they cl- they clinched a tie. So, yeah, that that's the other crazy thing about that series. Yeah, and, and by that point, by that Wednesday, because it was a Wednesday, correct, Stephen? Right, right. By that Wednesday, you just felt like maybe Mike Scott can do something because he had just been one of the best pitchers that we'd ever seen that year. Just he was so dominant. And then, Stephen, the next outing, he almost throws another no-hitter against the Giants again. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I, I mean, that that whole 1986 was crazy, and it it ended up, you know, not the way the Astros would have liked. But even that was crazy with that whole 16 inning Mets game. Man, that season was something else, Robert. And Scott's no hitter, you know, it it certainly put them in the position, but it wasn't, you know, the the only miraculous crazy thing that happened that season. But yeah, it's so interesting leading up to the the no hitter, you know, with Nolan Ryan almost doing one the day before. But yeah, when Mike Scott pitched that no-hitter, he he definitely put himself in that category of, man, this is a guy, we do not want to face him in the postseason. And the Mets certainly felt that way in that championship series. I was about to say, I, I've been making my way through that Mets 30 for 30 on the 1986 season, which is too long. Four hours is too long for uh, a documentary on the 86. I mean, it's an interesting team. And well, it is if you're an Astros fan, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's it's... <laughs> You know, you get through two hours. They're not even halfway through the Mets' 86 season. It's it's too long. It's too – I mean, yeah. look, the Mets were one of the most fascinating teams in baseball that year. I mean, we've ever seen. It just They were fascinating. However, four hours for one season, one team is is not – it's not worthy. Let, let, let's move to – because there's so much in, that, that happened, but I'm sure you've got at least one more this week in Astros history moment. I do have one more, and once again, if I say the date, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. September 26th, 1981, almost five years before Mike Scott's no-hitter, Nolan Ryan pitches one of his own. No-hitter number five! Number five, yeah, in his career. A 5 to nothing win over the Dodgers. Ryan strikes out 11 batters. He walks three. And the final out, Robert, is made by Dusty, your good friend Baker. and mine, Dusty Baker. How about that? Oh my goodness! And 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 he made the final out to a future Astros manager, correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, for for somebody who never played for the Astros, uh, Dusty's you know he, he finds himself in uh, quite a few Astros memories, or will you know as time goes on for somebody that didn't play for the team. Uh, but of course he played when you play as long as Dusty Baker does, uh, he probably is going to find his way into some Astros history, whether he was with them or not. Yeah. Art Howe, right. It was Art Howe that recorded that out. If, if I'm right, is it right. Was the grounder to third and was it the throw was to Howe? Is that right? I want to say that's correct. I, I did not see that part of it, but I just know that Dusty was, yeah, was the final out in, in that fifth no hitter for Nolan Ryan against the Dodgers and, uh, the Astros. Yeah. And almost five years before Mike Scott's no-hitter, who would have thought? Yeah, I was probably 10 years old at the time. I don't remember watching that, that game or listening to that game. I, I, I Big Astros fan, I just don't remember. I, and, and, and that was the game of the week. 
Yeah, I was on a Saturday because I remember I think I was going to a picnic that day. I did watch the game, but I think the, the picnic was later that day. So I am pretty sure that, yeah, if you said it was game of the week, because I remember it was on a Saturday. So I do remember watching that game. And then I think right after the game was over, I had a, a picnic I was going to go to or something. I was I was college age by that point. Man, just uh, some some fantastic moments when you look back at Astros history. I mean, what a what a history it's been. Um, just very very underrated nationally, but as a Houston sports fan, the Astros have had a lot of moments that really got us excited, and uh, great to relive some of those. And I want to wrap up the show by reminding everybody that this show is brought to you by BetUS.com, America's favorite sports book. When you use it, use the code. HST125 to redeem a 125% sign-up bonus on your initial $100 deposit. If you forget, look for the promo code in the show description to help our podcast. As you know, you can just sign up using the BetUS link on our pinned Twitter post, or you go to the website, HoustonSportsTalk.net, and click on BetUS, uh, the icon, anywhere on that. Uh, it's either in the app or on the website. It's the right side of the page if you're looking at the website. Look for our Texans post-game show on Sunday. We do it Every week we give you a Texans post game break it all down for you. Until next time, stay healthy and safe everybody. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a 5-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>